Good morning again. <laughs> um, we have just come out of a, uh, a series going through our, our doctrinal statement. Um, if you didn't get all of that, you can go back online and, and get through some of that. There are two weeks left before I leave you for a time. Um, I think most of you know this. Uh, my sabbatical will start in a couple of weeks and will extend through summer, and I'll come back September 1. Um, my hope and my prayer is that you all don't uh, relax while I'm away, but, ju- but just keep keep pushing, because Christian Fellowship Church never has been, is not, and never will be about the person passing Christian Fellowship Church. This is not my church, and it's not your church, right? It's Christ's church. He's the head, and uh, you are in capable hands uh, with the elders and the volunteers that are working here. You members know how to keep this church going and going well. Um, but as I was thinking, the last couple of sermons before I go, what am I going to say? Right? <laughs> what do I say before I take this uh, time, this, uh, this sabbatical, uh, to reflect and to um, be reinvigorated for ministry uh, going forward? And uh, I thought of um, Paul's many statements of thanks to the congregations that he knew and most of the letters that Paul wrote. He starts, before he gets into uh, the main theme of the letter, uh, he starts with a statement of thanks for what he loves about them. And um, I wanted to start by asking you guys, uh, what are some things in your time here at CFC? For me, this past April has been eight, eight years, eight years that I've been at this church, and there's a lot of things I could think of that I'm thankful for. Um, but before we even do that, I want to specifically thank a few volunteers that have been um, uh, a source of a lot of joy and thanks for me. And that's each and every one of our growth group leaders. Uh, can I have you guys not only stand, but join me up here just for a couple of minutes. Uh, I want to I just honor you all. Um, Glenn Kelly, come on up, please. Um, and uh, yeah, please. Just how about you all to stand there to my left. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Um, I, I've come bearing gifts, okay? Just, I thought, what can I do to kind of honor uh, the work that you guys have been doing? So for those of you who don't know what growth groups are, um, in the week, we have small groups that meet and talk about what we learned in the sermon. Let's dig a little deeper into that passage, and then let's apply it to our lives and pray for each other. And that's what our growth groups do. And so um, each of these folks you see up here have been uh, laboring in, in leading those growth groups, and um, I have a journal at home, and uh, several years ago, I wrote down, what are the top five things I want to see at CFC? To- the top five things that are really, I-, I just really am laboring over seeing these things made a lot better, and one of those was small groups. I just felt like they weren't firing on all cylinders. I felt like it was just kind of a difficult part of our ministry, and then just like that, it seemed overnight. Uh, the, the Lord just really breathed a fresh breath of uh, air into that ministry, and it's because of these folks right here. Um, so I have a, I have a few books. Let's see. Uh, we'll start with you, Al. I I, I found uh, this book. I didn't even know he wrote this, but Billy Graham wrote a book called Nearing Home, Life, Faith, and Finishing Well. And I thought that would be a fitting a fitting book for you, brother. Uh, 
Tina, we know we, we both like uh, Matt Chandler, and he has a book, To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain, but don't go dying on me. <laughs> that, that gain could be made later. Um, Mike, I don't know if you have this one, The Screwtape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, and he writes, uh, these are letters from a high-ranking demon to a low-ranking demon as they try to uh, keep a Christian from walking with the Lord. And, you know, as you lead growth groups and, and help us with worship, that's what we're in. We're, we're not battling against flesh and blood, we're against spiritual power. So this is a classic I thought would be good nutrition for you. Um, Danny, our policeman, our watchman. <laughs> Listen to the title of this. This is called uh, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. A manly man book for a manly man. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy that. And for the Nielsens, I, I know you guys have a real heart for discipleship. You know, you're always asking, what happened to this person? Is that couple okay? You guys really have a heart for shepherding people. And so this is David Platt's book called Follow Me. Um, it actually is, was written in conjunction with Multiply. And I know you guys have read that, so hopefully you enjoy that as you guys continue to help us shepherd people, right? Would you join me in praying for them? Yeah, thank you. Let's, let's pray for them. Father, we thank you so much for all these growth group leaders and in the next couple of weeks that are left in this court of growth groups, we pray that uh, they would be encouraged and that during the summer they would be re-energized, invigorated. Maybe something that they read in these books would, um, would continue to increase their knowledge and their love for you. And uh, we thank you for them and all that they pour, all the time behind the scenes that it takes to go over the sermon questions and look over that text again and uh, remember people's prayer requests and all the different things that they do, Father. We're uh, so grateful for them and the work that you do through them. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you guys. Thank you. So what I th- would like to do as we get started uh, here is to literally take, not a rhetorical question, I literally want to hear from you, what are some of your top things that you've been thankful for when you think about your time here at CFC? Maybe you've been here for a year, maybe you've been here since the beginning, right, or something in between. Some of the top things uh, that you're most thankful for when you think of CFC, what you're most grateful for. Anybody? Helga. right that's great and you know for especially the size church that this is it's amazing how multi-generational it is Uh, many churches is you know it's just young adults and you know there's you know barbed wire and you know (laughs) concert lights and stuff and some churches only seniors you know, and they only do things a certain way, and they're not really open to things being new, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, that's a, an amazing aspect of, of this congregation. Anybody else? Sue. Yeah. Right. I've, I've been at churches where they've lamented the fact that there are no seniors, and how do you do Titus 2, where the older men are teaching the younger men and the older women are teaching younger women if your entire congregation is just young people? Uh, that, that's, a great, that's a great one. Doug? I'm thankful for the prayer of 
Yeah, right. Uh, definitely a church that, that believes in prayer, and we, we get to witness when God answers them. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Renata. Right. Wow. Yeah, it, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, a lot of history here, and and it's it's awesome to see when you pour into children and they grow up and they start their own families and a lot. You know, it's, it, they may not stay at CFC, but they're in the kingdom of God and they're doing work somewhere. Anybody else? Jump in, Eric. Yeah, right. That That's also, I, I've thought many times, if we're pulling up to this church for the first time, I might be a little intimidated because it is small. And is it going to be like you walk in and everyone's like, what are you doing here? You know, uh, but this, this I, the probably the top feedback I get of CFC when people come and visit is how open, how friendly, how welcoming. So much so that it makes me realize, wow, that's not a common thing. And it should be. It should be a common thing to walk into a church and people ask you where you're from, how you're doing, how, what brought you here today, um, that kind of thing. And then you guys are really, really thriving that. That is amazing. Team. Right. Yeah. So cross-generational uh, fellowship and um, Definitely a, a vibe of the fact that we care for each other. Um, we're not just here to to just kind of check Sunday off our list, but we really are, are interested in each other's lives. Jose. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That's something I appreciate about you guys is uh, you guys, the only way you can appreciate nutritious meals and the sermons is if you guys are hungry for it. You have the appetite for it, and that's a work that God does in your life, and it's a joy for me. I know that if I labor in preparing these messages and things like that, um, you guys aren't going to just kind of move the food around and, and try to make it look like you ate right? You guys are hungry, you want to eat, and, and that's a joy. Um, uh, every, every chef wants to, loves to see the plate clean, right? Um, and so you guys have done that for me. Um, I mentioned that Paul, in his, the beginning, the intro to most of his letters, would, would explain what he's most thankful for, and one of the fullest ones is in Colossians chapter 1, and I want to take you there, Colossians chapter 1. So the New Testament is towards the end of your Bible, past Ephesians, past Philippians, or you can just check your table of contents, or 
Just type it in your search feature on your phone. But Colossians chapter 1 is where we are this morning. And you can easily see right there, the first 14 verses is his, here's what I appreciate about you guys. Here's what I pray for, for you guys. Um, So this is by no means a perfect church. By the time you finish reading these first few lines, you're like, wow, this, this Colossian church, I wish I was there. I wish I could be a part of that church like that. Um, they had their issues, and part of that had to do with false teaching creeping in. How many times do we see that, right? We went through the book of Titus, and he's like telling Titus, you, you need to make sure you, you know, um, crack down on the false teaching because it infects churches. Well, that was the case with this church in Colossae. False teaching creeping in. But before he gets to that, he wants to let them know what, what's great about the church, what is good about the church, what he's thankful for in the church. And so he starts out, we'll just start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That was the town that this church was in, the city. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, we'll pause there a second. So he says, I, I pray for you guys. I pray for you guys a lot. And when I pray for you guys, I always begin by thanking God for you guys. I don't jump straight to What's wrong with them? God, please fix this. Before I get there, I thank God. I thank God for the work he's doing in you guys. I thank God that there's a church in a place like Colossae. And I thank God specifically for three things. Faith, love, and hope. These are the things that the church demonstrates that Paul is thankful for. He says, I, 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 ever since I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. I thank God for it every time I pray for you. And every time I pray for you, I thank God for the love that you have for all the saints. But check the logic here. The reason why they have love is because they have faith, right? They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and so a love is produced in them that they wouldn't have had they not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So this is not a love that you can find in The Rotary Club. This is not a love that you can find at Boy Scouts. This is not a love that you can find at any number of good organizations, great things that we belong to, good things that we do, but there's something special about the Christian um, believer, the person who believes in Christ, the person who's placed faith in Christ, has a love that is demonstrated. You remember when Jesus told his disciples, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And not even that you love the broken and you love the poor and you love the disenfranchised. That's a part of what a Christian does. But the way the world knows that this is real is how we demonstrate our love toward one another. When they walk in, this one anotherness that we practice is practiced in love. So because of their faith, they have this love. But the only reason why they have this love is because, verse 5, is because of the hope that they have. You remember last week when we talked about the resurrection of the saints, the new bodies that we get? That's just a little slice, a little fraction of the hope that we have stored up for us in heaven. 
that produces something in us. Why did I spend so much time explaining the body and that it's this body and the resurrection and all that? Because the clearer picture we have of the hope that's future, the better we're going to be able to demonstrate love now in the present. And so he says, I thank God for that. I thank God that you guys have faith in Christ. It's shown and proven in the love that you have for each other. And the reason why you have it is because you cling to this hope. There's a hope laid up for you in heaven. All the praises that we can list for CFC, all the things that are great about a church that's a great church, fall under those categories. The faith of the church, the love of the church, the hope that the church has. And he says, of this you heard, this hope, you heard of this before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras is a guy that would spend time in Colossae and spend time with this church, and then he'd go and see Paul and report back to Paul how the church is going. And look, I delivered the gospel to these people. These people believed it. They're growing. They're loving one another. It's awesome. So it started with the gospel. The reason why they have faith and hope and love is because somebody proclaimed the gospel to them and they embraced it. Okay. It began with the gospel. And that's what Paul is thankful for. Paul is thankful for the effect that the gospel has had in their lives. They embraced the gospel. They heard the gospel. Now they're living the gospel. And that's what he's thankful for. However, he has a couple of prayer requests for them. Now, it's not like good news, bad news. It's not a bait and switch. He's not like, yeah, I thank you. For, you know, like, let me fluff you up a little bit. You guys are great. You guys are great. Here's my real problem. It's not a real stark transition. But he does, in line with what he's thankful for, he wants to see that that continues. He wants to see that it keeps going because nobody ever arrives, right? You never, you never, you're a Christian for a few months and then you hit, you hit a certain point where you got it, you're good, it clicked. And then you just smooth sail for the rest of your life. Ask any Christian if that's true. And your answer is going to be no. I never hit that point where I can just sail. I never hit that point where I can hit cruise control. There is no cruise control. Cruise control will derail you faster than anything. Right? And so Paul's prayer is, I thank God that he's producing faith and hope and love through you because of the gospel. But I also pray, after thanking him, I pray that it keeps going. Here's how he describes that prayer. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So he's back to his original thing. that He's praying for them. Here's what he asks. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You might think, I want to know God's will. I want to know God's will for who I marry and who I, what college I should go to. I want to know God's will for whether I should take this next job promotion. I want to know God's will for where I should live and what school district my kids should go into. I want to know God's will for what I should name my kids. I want to know God's will for should I buy this car or that car or should I? That's not what he's referring to. We get real myopically focused on little details should I eat this? Should I do that? Should I do this diet? Should I work out at this gym or stay at home or. All these little decisions, it's not that they don't matter. It's not that they're not important, but that's the cart before the horse. What he's concerned with, what he's concerned with is the kind of knowledge that verse 10 
leads you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, so that whether you go to that school or this school, whether you marry that person or that person, whether you have two kids or one kid or no kids, whether you live in this state or that state or this country, whatever your situation, God's will is that you do it in a way that's pleasing to Him, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, verse 10, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, right there, he used four words, three words, one of them twice, to speak to the same thing that he's requesting that God gives them. What he's asking that God give them is not more love, it's not more faith, it's not more hope, but it's what produces those, knowledge. He says, I've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual, here's the synonym, here's the other word for knowledge, wisdom, and then he drops another one, and understanding, those are the same thing. And then he says it again, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You remember when we went through the book of Titus? Knowing theology and living out that theology can't be separated. If you're trying to live for God and do good works for God, but you just could care less about what God has revealed in his word, you're just operating on yourself. You're, you're a lone ranger off on your own tangent. You're not... You're not pleasing God. But if you're only concerned with filling your head with a bunch of theological facts and it doesn't translate into bearing good fruit and doing good work and loving the saints and and that kind of thing, then it's just knowledge that puffs up, right? You're just going to get arrogant off of your theology. You're just going to be constantly correcting people. That's not what it says. Check the context, brother. But you don't care about people. That's not the product that God wants. He wants both. This part, the knowledge part, should lead to the bearing fruit part. And if that's true, and he wants to see them bear more fruit, then he's got to pray for more knowledge. He's got to pray that they would understand things more. And so he asked the Lord to give them knowledge, which will produce a walk, a worthy walk. They would walk in a manner, they would walk in a way that pleases the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work, every kind of good work that every Christian should do is going to be produced if they get this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding that God is asking, that Paul is asking God to give them. Why? Why is it so important that they increase in knowledge, that they increase in wisdom, increase in understanding? And the wisdom and understanding part is important, right? Because that's just more than academic knowledge. It's how to apply that knowledge. Wisdom isn't just information. Wisdom is how to take that information and apply it to situations. That's when someone has understanding. You get that from digging into God's word. You get that from increasing knowledge. But here's why he gives it. He's why he prays it for them. He's thankful that so far it's been great. The gospel has been producing an effect in them. They could do just how we did, go around and and. and and explain what's been so great about this church, the Colossian church. And he agrees with them. There's a lot of awesome things you guys are doing, and there's a lot of great things about you. But I need you guys to keep going. And the only way you're going to keep going and not stop is if you increase in knowledge. If you don't increase in knowledge, 
you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit a bump. And you're going to derail. You're going to stop. You're going to quit. You're going to leave church. You're going to say, never mind, it wasn't for me. Eh, it was a phase. Don't let this be a phase for you. Endure. Keep going. Stay steadfast. How do I know that? Well, that's exactly what he says. Verse 11, his prayer request. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. See, keep going. Endurance, patience. You want to quit, but you don't quit when you're patient. You want to stop, but you don't stop because you endure, even if it gets tough, even if it gets difficult. How can I possibly do that? Not on my strength, right? Only because I'm strengthened with all power, the glorious might that's available to me from God. Now, a lot of times we think, I want power. I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And we're waiting for a feeling. He's not asking for a feeling. He's asking for knowledge. And so we go, here's knowledge over here. Here's knowledge, but... What I need is to be pumped up. I need vigor. I need to be enthused about Christianity. Well, sometimes it'll be there and sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll really be feeling it. Man, I'm really in the mood for sermon today. And other times it's like, man, I'm not really feeling it. I hope he's not too long today. Right? We're emotional beings. I get it. Right? But knowledge is the base. The knowledge, what God has revealed about himself, that's what doesn't change. And so that's the basis for getting us through. If our basis is feelings, we won't endure. Because if you're not feeling it the same day that you get hit with an attack by the enemy, then you're derailed. But rather than basing it on feelings, if you base it on knowledge, which doesn't change, then the situation can change, the circumstances can come crashing like waves and tsunamis. Your rock is what God has revealed about himself. I know that God is like this. Whether I feel like he's like that or not, I know he's like that. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding that's the bedrock for endurance patience now listen i love this it's not just a cold understanding it's not just i theoretically know that god is like this so theoretically i know that he's allowing the situation for a purpose therefore theoretically i should theoretically worship him in theory that's not what he's talking about it's like when it gets gritty and when it gets real when life gets difficult and your loved one is in the hospital dying or you're hospital dying or you just got that diagnosis or you just got told you're laid off or something life shattering life altering how do you endure how do you patiently keep going with joy joy that's not based on that job joy that's not even based on how long you live joy that's not based on how healthy you are joy that's based on something else that's what's going to get you to endure okay so let's test our knowledge what should provide for me Joy that's unrobable, joy that's unsurpassable, joy that can't be uh, stolen from me, joy that will never expire, joy that will never get boring, joy that will never get stale because I I knew that already. He explains. He says, you're going to have that kind of joy when you're able to give thanks, verse 12. About what? When you're able to give thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why is that a big deal? Listen, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That never gets old. We were stuck in darkness. 
right? What are you like in the dark? You're stubbing your toe on stuff. You can't find the light switch. You can't do anything, right? You can't, you can't comb your hair, right? I don't have to worry about that. I do everything in the dark, actually. No, I'm just going against my own illustration. The darkness conceals everything. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's there. You don't know what's in front of you. It also hides the things that you're shameful about. But when we're in the light, he doesn't just expose what's wrong with us, but he cleans it. He nails it to the cross. It's redemption. And this transfer that he makes, it's all by his grace. It's all by his, by his mercy. There, there's nothing I can do to transfer myself out of darkness, right? I'm lost. I'm stuck in sin. I'm a slave to sin. It's terrible. But the only reason why I'm not that is because of God's grace. He, he put in a transfer order that only he could carry out. And if we ever feel uh, like we're not very thankful for that, we need to revisit whether it's true of us. Because the person for whom that's true, they've been transferred from darkness to light, they're going to feel thanks and joy over that. So, he thanks them for the effect that the gospel has had in them, and then he asks them, he asks God, to increase their knowledge in the gospel that's had that effect in them. Now, here's where we differ sometimes with what we're seeing here in this passage. A lot of times what we'll hear in churches and see in churches is you start with the gospel, and then you kind of graduate from it. And then you get into deeper things, thicker things. You start understanding more of the Bible, but you don't just keep going over the gospel all the time. And I don't think that's right. I think what Paul wants them to do is lean into the gospel and keep peeling back the layers of the gospel. You never stop learning the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel. Now, some of you might be going, what do you mean when you say the gospel? Gospel just means good news. I'm going to try to do this one quick. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. What is the good news? You were stuck in darkness. You couldn't get yourself out of darkness. Jesus came and stepped into the darkness and took the, lived the life that you couldn't live, took the punishment for the darkness that you should have had, and crossed over from darkness to light in his resurrection and then led in his wake the ability for us to follow in that transfer. That's redemption. That is the good news. Everything we do as a church, every sermon, every Sunday school, every class, every small group, everything is centered on that gospel. Nothing is irrelevant to the gospel. You can think back to your latest men's breakfasts or women's brunches, and you should be able to easily connect what it has to do with the gospel. So yesterday morning, I sat with the guys, and, well, they sat, I taught, right? And we talked about the immutability of God, the changeless nature of God. Ooh, I dropped some big words on them. I'm like, here's the Greek, and it came from the Latin, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, write this down, guys. You're going to press people with it, and like, write, it, write it down. I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff, right? Big words, big theology, it's heady. We're looking at verses and everything like that. It's worthless if it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. What does that have to do with the gospel? The fact that God does not change. Because it means that the gospel wasn't true yesterday and then it's not true tomorrow. If Paul says that we were stuck in darkness and then he transferred us and we have redemption, that doesn't mean that he's going to go, never mind, scrap this whole thing. They don't have redemption anymore because he's changeless. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means the gospel stays intact. That's why it matters. And so every avenue of teaching of the church needs to bring people back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross for his believers. When a church graduates from that, 
that's when they start their slippery slope towards something else besides pleasing the Lord fully. And so we think, why? We want to be that church. We want to continue the church. We just heard great things about CFC. We just heard a lot of great things about how this church is and what this church is like. And we affirmed um, a lot of things to be thankful for about CFC. But I share this pastoral heart that Paul had where I go, boy, there's a lot of great things about this church and it's great. But to keep it great, to keep it going, we have to lean into our understanding of the gospel. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But one thing to think about is if you were sitting on the train and somebody sat next to you and said, you know, I've been really having a really hard time in life. My life is terrible. You're probably wondering why is a stranger pouring out their guts? but they are. And you have three or four minutes before the next stop to give them the gospel. Can you do it? I mean, would it just be a meandering, like, I don't know, God, the Bible, um, there's the Old Testament, there's a New Testament, ding, you know, Fullerton, ah! Can, can, you, can you, in a, in a concise way, articulate what the gospel is? If we can't, then that's probably hurting us spiritually because I don't have a basis and understanding of those bedrock foundational cornerstones that all the bricks of Christianity are built upon. So if I can't articulate it, maybe it's because I'm confused. What I've learned most about preaching is when I teach preaching. Now, my first day going to Moody Bible Institute, not the first day, but when I knew I was going to teach this class, I'm like, okay, supposedly I know stuff about preaching, but what am I going to say to these students? They've had zero preaching training. What do I say to them? I learned more about preaching preparing that class than ever before. Just trying to pull all the dots together and make it as simple as possible. We need to do that with the gospel. Can I articulate it to my child? Can I articulate it to a stranger, someone who's never heard it before? Can I explain what this transfer is from darkness into light? We have to start with that. And then it keeps unfolding. You know, we're going to be, you guys are going to be doing Living by the Book in the summer uh, by Hendrix. And that's just, that's, that's not to puff our heads up with a bunch of knowledge, right? And compare notes with each other and see who comes with the biggest Bible and who has the, the most highlighters in the outside pocket of their, you know, expensive Bible cover and, you know, that kind of thing. And no, no, no. The point is, as I dig into the passages that we're studying, how does that magnify the gospel in my mind right paul told the corinthians you remember i was with you he was with the corinthians for over a year i I think scott was saying about 18 months he was with the corinthians physically with them he sent epaphras to colossi but he was physically with the corinthians they had a lot of problems and he reminds remember when i was with you i refused to preach anything but christ and him crucified sermon number one christ and him crucified part two christ and him crucified 17 months later, they're like, Paul, what are you going to preach today, man? Because I've been here for 17 months. Take a guess, man. Let me guess. Christ and him crucified? Yeah. Man, don't you have anything else? No. I preach it from Genesis. I preach it from Exodus. How about, can you do something from Leviticus? Yeah. What's the series going to be called? Christ and him crucified? See, he never wanted the Corinthians to graduate from that. He doesn't want the Colossians to graduate from that. The gospel is it. And so for us to continue, for us to endure, when you're stuck in that hospital room, when you're walking back to your car with your box full of tchotchkes from your desk because you just got fired, 
What is going to keep you going? Your knowledge and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one can snatch that away. You can never get fired from redemption. It's intact. And the thankfulness over that will get us through the dark times ahead. Everyone in here this morning is either just coming out of a trial, in the middle of a trial, or about to be hit with one. What gets you through is the gospel. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And as we close in a song, my hope and my desire for CFC is for us to continue to mature in our understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and close in a song.